Hi, it's me, Tiwa Ogunlesi. I'm a life coach, founder of Confident and Killing It, and you're listening to the Confident and Killing It podcast. This show is about waking you up to your worth so you can be confident, unstoppable, and dare to live the life that you truly desire. No more fear and insecurities getting in the way. It's time to master your mind, believe in yourself, and show up in the world. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Confident and Killing It. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is going to be slightly different. Last year in the pandemic, I lost all my business and I was freaking out. And I knew if I was freaking out, there would be a whole load of other women freaking out too. So I decided to put together a webinar series called Killing It as an Entrepreneur, where I interviewed amazing women in different industries, where we had such amazing and rich conversations about well-being, finances, personal development, building a personal brand, and navigating the world of entrepreneurship. In this episode, I've sat down with three incredible women to talk about practical ways they build their confidence, how they overcome imposter syndrome, how they paved a way for themselves as black women in an industry and in industries that really did not represent them, and how they moved from full-time job to full-time entrepreneur and are absolutely killing it. This is a one hour snippet of the full conversation. So if you would love to listen to the full thing and watch the video, you can do so on the Confident and Killing It YouTube channel, and I'm gonna link it in the show notes. And so with no further ado, let's get into it. Um, So I'm gonna hand over to my panelists to introduce themselves and yeah, and then we can get going. Um, Lauren, would you like to start? Sure, Um, my name's Lauren Nicole. I am a plus size model content creator, owner of Fashion Killer, which is a contact <laughs> content platform, as well as Lauren Nicole Digital, which is just about consultancy and helping brands and people um, figure out how they want to tell their story through social media. So yeah, that's me. Love it. Oh, we've got two kind of Nicoles in the building. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole number two. <laughs> I love that. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Krenzel. I'm a cultural curator public speaker, creative consultant and entrepreneur. I'm also the co-founder and CEO of Black Girl Festival and a platform called Big Sis. And my practice involves connecting women, young people and underrepresented groups to art, culture and events. Fantastic. And last but not least, Awoma. Hey guys, my name is Dr. Awoma. I'm a medical and cosmetic doctor and founder of Skin Doctor, um, which is an expert-led skincare solutions brand um, that caters to super inclusive community in real life um, and online. Um, and I've got um, a clinic in Soho. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Tima. No, my pleasure. Um, as you can see, like everyone's from different industries and does so many different things. And I just love that like diversity that we have here. So I'm really excited to hear like all your different stories and, and yeah, like aspects of, of life as an entrepreneur. Like no one's journey is the same. Um, so I want to get started with, personal growth because I think the first thing you need to know before you start a business is yourself. Um, The world sells us all of these fabulous dreams about being CEOs and climbing to the top and things like that and successful businesses. And we all look at like our favorite celebrities, the Oprah's of the world. And we're like, ah, we want that. But then we don't actually know the work that goes on behind the scenes to get to a place where you can be the CEO of your own business. So I want to hear from you. What are some of the things that you are doing um, for your personal growth to work on yourself so that you can be um, a better CEO and actually take your business to where it needs to go? Um, so Wilma, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, with that question, do you mean like right now or what I've done? Like, um, yeah, what you've done like throughout your journey. Cool. Um, we were talking about this earlier today, weren't we? In the sense of um, starting with like internal work. So specifically going to therapy has been major for me. Mm. Um, I really, really encourage everyone on this webinar to really like dig deep down and, 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 and really um, go for that. Um, I always say to people that you don't need to wait for a diagnosis before you get therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been life-changing for me and it really has helped me to realize my full potential um, 
and really just kind of deal with issues that I didn't even realize were issues. <laughs> mm. um, and then more recently, other things such as coaching has been amazing for me as well. Nice. Um, kind of going or attending even uh, mastermind groups of fellow entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, and then also just everyday self-care. So um, whether it be, I don't know, getting myself a nice takeaway at the end of the week or having a glass of wine on an evening, yeah. um, giving myself some facials, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I love the balance in it because people always feel like personal growth always has to be like, or oh, reading books and watching like videos on YouTube, but it's like, no, there's a bit of self-care in there too. And personal growth can involve wine, you know, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, I must read this book to learn about myself. No, mm -hmm. like, can be flexible <laughs> yeah you still got to read the books for sure yeah. but there's other fun things you can add in there as well <laughs> okay nicole would you like to go next yeah i just have to echo definitely what Oma was saying i think i'm i'm such a huge fan of speaking about your emotions and and really ironing out a lot of um kind of past experiences and i think it brings itself up in so many different ways in your personal life and your business life um so it's so important to go to therapy and 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 kind of access as many free free services as possible as well I think that's so important and I've definitely kind of I'm such a huge advocate for speaking to a professional um, about those issues but just on top of that as well I, I'm a strong believer in being uncomfortable with the things that make you uncomfortable so the parts of yourself that you don't actually want to face the parts of yourself that you realize that when it comes to teamwork when it comes to negotiation when it comes to pitching they really do affect the way in which you maneuver as a business person or as an entrepreneur and those are the kind of the hard truths that you probably don't want to face and sometimes you know a therapist will tell you a friend will tell you your parents will tell you but you have to tell yourself that and you have to go through the motions of being really honest with yourself in those spaces. And I, I definitely feel like, even though I absolutely love candles, <laughs> burning a candle won't tell you that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I've got two on the go all the time. Love candles, love, candles, love face masks, love bubble bath, love it all. Um, but it's a mixture of being hard on yourself but also being kind to yourself, being honest with yourself, but also being really, um, being really true to yourself and giving yourself what you need when you need it. I'm such a huge advocate of that. You know, I'm very much the kind of person that says, if I don't want to look at something or I don't want to do my work or I don't want to look at my emails, I'll stop and I'll give myself what it needs, my body what it needs when it needs it. Yeah. And sometimes it is a glass of wine and sometimes it is a good cry. Yeah. Sometimes rom-com, sometimes it's a good natter over the phone for two hours with your best friend. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just echoing what Oma said so wonderfully, like, very much agree that's kind of how I've been navigating things yeah I love that about listening to your body because I think like during this lockdown season there's been so many debates over like should you be productive should you not be productive what should you be yeah. doing it's just like guys you everybody's different everybody's experience is different all our coping mechanisms are different so like let's not like mirror our like coping mechanisms on what other people are saying and actually just check in with your body like what do you actually need today or this week rather than oh my gosh everyone seems to be doing an online course i need to do an online course right now no you don't what do you need and check in with that and then i also love what you said about getting ready to be uncomfortable and like actually being okay with going outside of your comfort zone. Cause you know, we all want to be like strong and resilient and all of these great things. But like, if you think about it, how do you become resilient by going through challenges? Like by facing things head on and that's the only way to do it. Um, so yeah, I love that as well. Thank you. Um, and Lauren. Um, again, I feel like I have to echo everything that you guys have said, but I think what's also really key and important, I guess, in many ways is the fact that the strength and this idea of strength has always been put on to women, but especially black women, um, that you're supposed to be the strongest one, whether that's if, you know, whatever you're facing at the moment, you're supposed to just be able to get up and keep it moving or um, not necessarily show your emotions all the time. Mm. Um, and I definitely had to, you know, unlearn those patterns, um, but also get into uncomfortable situations where, because I've always been the strong friend, mm. it then became like a bit of a challenge for me to open up and say to my friends, you know, like I really actually need help or assistance with this at this time. Yeah. So just finding those moments where it's like, okay, I need to actually ask someone to help me out right now because mm. right now I don't have it all together as much as I wish I did. Okay. Um, and being okay with that and saying, you know what, like actually this is a form of strength, even though it's not necessarily in that kind of 
glamorized form yeah. that we co- constantly see all the time yeah totally uh, and Brené brown says this all the time like vulnerability is a strength not a weakness yeah. because it's all about truth and courage and truth and courage can never be a weakness because these are like it's not easy but it the benefit of it is so so powerful so let's get started on one of my favorite slash like most popular topics which is imposter syndrome and i think I always like a lot of people come to me for coaching for imposter syndrome and especially as black women, when we don't see ourselves represented in senior leadership positions or, you know, running multi-million dollar businesses, it's very easy to think, oh, if a black woman's never done it or I can't see any black women doing it, then we can't do it. Um, and I don't think that's true. So I want to um, hear from you guys, like in terms of your journey with imposter syndrome, like have you ever felt like being in a room and felt like oh my gosh I don't deserve to be here and then what did you do to kind of like talk yourself back into it and and show up for yourself rather than kind of like retreating and not putting yourself forward for opportunities just because you felt like you weren't good enough um who who okay Lauren do you want to go first Sure. Um, so I have obviously recently been having sessions with you, which have been... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. A little shameless plug for you. But um, I have found it difficult because I not only am plus size, not only am I black, but I'm incredibly younger than the rest of my peers in my specific industry which is plus size fashion um typically the plus size fashion industry is predominantly 30 plus white women um and i am a 22 year old black girl so there's a lot of differences there um but for me I have been trying to do this more and trying to implement this more. But when those sorts of thoughts come up into my head, it's kind of reminding myself, well, if you do choose to retreat right now, what does that say about who you are as a person? How are you then showing up for yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, Are people then going to more likely want to work with you if the case is that now you're retreating and you're now kind of being shy or trying to like not interact with other people? Or if you show up for yourself and you be your true self, how is that going to benefit you? Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you have that in your head of like, what is the benefits here if I am truly myself? It helps in terms of navigating through that sort of feeling and that emotion. And obviously it's still a difficult ride. um, And it's still something that I'm trying to deal with, but that's definitely been beneficial for me. Yeah, like staying true to your true authentic self and just showing yeah. up as you are. Because I think there's actually something really, really powerful in that. And I think that's why if you forget who you are, if you forget the good things about you, when you're in that moment, there's nothing to like come to your rescue in terms of remembering who you are and what you have to offer. So that's why it's so important to like know your strengths, know who you are, know what you love about yourself and actually be secure in that so that when you feel like you're a fraud or you're the only person in the room, you have enough strength to to take up space and to hold that space. So yeah, amazing. Um, Nicole, what about you, imposter syndrome? Yeah, this is one of the things that I talk about quite a lot, definitely because the industry that I come from, the creative industry. I mean, I I was talking about this recently on my recent post on Instagram, but also with like friends in that every single room that I've ever walked in, I felt like an imposter. Simply because every room that I've walked in didn't have anyone that looked like me. Mm -hmm. So naturally with an industry that's what 88% white, um, being a black working class girl from North London, walk, walking into the rooms that weren't made for me naturally make you feel like an imposter. They, they tell you that you're not meant to be here and you're reminded that you got here from chance, you know, for a tick box, you know, mm. you didn't get there by brilliant talent or personal connections. You got there as a fluke. And I think for a lot of black women, definitely when you kind of exist in those kind of ecosystems, you're constantly told that you are an imposter in this space, that you're not good enough to be in here. And there's some wayward reason that has you in the, that has you in this in this one room. Um, but the way that I've kind of combated, combated that is one, obviously, by trying to carve my own space in the industry that, you know, for a very long time, didn't, I didn't feel very much included me. But two, by kind of just realizing and appreciating my own source, by actually really saying to myself that I deserve to be in this space more than they deserve to have me. 
And I think that's sometimes quite hard because it takes a lot of vim and it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of uh, kind of courage to kind of say that to yourself, but also exude that same energy. Yeah. Uh, but I was walking into a lot of spaces where, you know, people wanted to have conversations about black women, people wanted to have conversations about young people. Um, and I had to kind of realize that no one else in this world can have this conversation better than I can. And so I deserve to be in those rooms. I deserve to be in those spaces. I deserve that raise. I deserve to kind of be on those platforms, talking to those people about, about my passions, about my ideals. But um, it takes a long time. And it's one of those things that doesn't, doesn't just like flip over overnight. It does take coaching. It does take um, self-development and growth. It does take loads of confidence. Um, but I think that the, the more you kind of navigate the industries that you exist in, the more you realize, and I, I love this quote that Michelle Obama said um, when she talked about being in every powerful room, or, or she walked into every powerful room and everyone basically isn't as smart as you think they are. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You realize that very early on when you walk into these spaces and everyone's a fucking dickhead. Oh, can I say it? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you can. <laughs> Sorry. You, <laughs> you, you realise that no one is as smart as you think they are. People have got there by chance. Everyone's yeah. wigging it just as much yeah. as you think you're wigging it. Everyone else is wigging it too. You know what I'm saying? Nobody got there through just the, their sheer brilliance. Everyone got there through various privileges or connections, whatever, whatever. And you actually sit there like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so this whole feeling I was having now, like... <laughs> So I think, I think there's a lot of that element as well that happens definitely within the creative industry um, and definitely for black women and our experiences with navigating the space. And I feel, I feel like it's one of those things that come part and parcel of just, our, just existing as a black woman in the creative industry or, or navigating, okay. navigating the industry entirely. It's realizing that a lot of the spaces that you're trying to get into weren't made for you and purposely mm. didn't want to include you. And so that inherently makes you feel like an imposter. You know, before you've yeah. even spoken, you're already told that you're an imposter in this space. Yeah. Um, so it takes a lot to try to combat that through your, through your work or through the way that you present yourself or all these different things that, 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 that kind of define you as, as an individual. But it, it does take some, takes, takes some time and it does take um, lots of practice really. Um, but yeah, walking into spaces and having that vim, having that courage, and just saying, I, I'm so deserving to be in this space before you lot even speak. I, I deserve to be in here. Um, yeah. Kind of how I've been, how I've been navigating things. Like, wow, that is mind blowing. And that's something <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> going to take with me. Because like, I think the way, like the way I see it is like, if you say you're an expert, you're an expert. Period. Right? Period. Literally. Like no one has the right to come and say, oh, actually, like they may think it, they may use some microaggressions to make you feel like you don't deserve there uh, to be there. But if you tell yourself you are an expert, show up like an expert. Like I love what you said, like you were like you have all this knowledge of being a black woman yourself and working with young people that a lot of people don't have. So when you get invited into those spaces, like take up that space like you deserve to be there even more than they deserve to have you so I absolutely love that and then I think also kind of like not just basing everything on oh I'm a black woman and black women aren't usually in this in these spaces because if we hinge our identity on that and then we don't see ourselves then it's like oh I don't think I can do this but if yeah. you go deeper and it's like who are you like without being a woman, without skin tone, like who are you at your core? Bring that to the table. Because if you are always waiting to be in a room surrounded by women, you know, you're going to be waiting a while. So I think it's important to also understand that, yeah, like bring all of you, like there is more to you than just what people see and you being represented in spaces. So when you do get into those space, like, yeah, literally just show up and, and stand your ground. Amazing. Awoma, what about you? Even just to add to the sermon of Nicole and Lauren, um, <laughs> yeah, it's mad because, you know, imposter syndrome is definitely something that I've suffered with most of my life, actually, particularly, I would say, post-puberty. Mm. Um, contrary to maybe what I exhibit now, I definitely have not been a confident person for most of my life at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that kind of label of imposter syndrome became worse at some of like my key milestones in life so for example when I got into medical school I just kind of slid into medical school i.e like I just just got in mm. um 
and even now I was like, oh my God, do I deserve to be here? Like, oh my God, oh my God, no one else in my family is a doctor. Like, what am I doing here? I don't deserve to be here. Um, and then again, when I started Skin Doctor, it was like imposter syndrome, overdrive. Um, but I would say in the last few years, years being the last year or two, more and more, it's not really something that I struggle with. Obviously, it's still there, but I feel more assertive in talking it down. So I literally almost see an imposter syndrome as a person. Mm. I feel like I have more control of it now. And yeah. anytime any kind of like niggle of doubt comes into my mind, I literally talk to it and I'm like, we're not entertaining this today. Yeah. And it's something that my mum, you know, would always say to me when I'd be like, umming and ahhing about myself, you know, she'd be like, oh my, you are a child of God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true, like, yeah. you know, so just things like that, I would just constantly just say in my head. Mm. Um, and like, Nicole's 100% right. I think, like, once I moved into the, you know, the industry space that I'm in, um, you know, speaking to brands, consulting for brands, I realized actually these people don't know shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I really don't know shit. I didn't study business. I just graduated in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> why the fuck was I doing imposter syndrome again? Yeah. yeah you can put that to bed. Um, and I would really say that we just don't give ourselves enough credit, to be honest with you. We really, really don't. Um, and also, I always tell myself, what value does it add, this imposter syndrome? It doesn't yeah. add any value, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't lose any value by being confident. Mm. You really don't. And I think that's what I was going to say. And I think what has really helped me to overcome imposter syndrome, maybe this is a good or bad thing, I don't know, but is having those kind of points of successes. And that, those points of successes could be anything from I don't know, having a new email subscriber to having my first client book with me, right? Yeah. Or to work with a global skincare brand. Yeah. Just to feedback from, you know, from well-regarded people in the industry. You know, when you keep on experiencing those things, hearing such feedback, like you're forced into just being like, yeah, I'm the shit actually. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's own this. <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, so amazing, literally. And like celebrating yourself, keeping tracks of your accomplishments. I actually have a monthly wins tracker that I use to keep a track of my accomplishments. And like every month I go in and, and put it in there. Like one of my small wins, one of my big wins, because imposter syndrome is literally just forgetting that you are the shit. Like, because you forget everything you've achieved and then you start shaking and worrying that you don't have what it takes, but actually you do have what it takes. If you go back and look at your accomplishments and I sometimes use my Instagram for this, like I'll be scrolling through my own profile and be like, this, this is like, is that you? Like, okay, yes, it's me. And like, I use that for confidence, but it's like, you've got to do what it takes. Don't just let your negative thoughts come into your mind and have a party and chill and grab some popcorn. Like, no, you have to be intentional about challenging them and doing what it takes to make sure that your mind is in a place where it empowers you rather than sabotages you. I think we all deserve to have a mind that supports us and encourages us on our journey rather than a mind that makes us freak out that we're the only woman in the room or the only black woman in the room and we don't have what it takes. Like you deserve to have a mind that loves and appreciates you uh, for who you are. So don't be afraid to challenge um, your negative thoughts. So I want to go into now paving your own way because we've talked about imposter syndrome and you know, negative thoughts, feeling like a fraud and being the only woman in the room. And I hope everyone has seen Beyonce's 2020, class of 2020 uh, speech. I literally was in my bed crying. B has like a soft space in my heart. So anything she does, it just makes me want to cry. <laughs> but she said when she, yes, Beyonce for president. Yes, Cerise. Um, she said she goes outside, gets her own wood, chops it down and builds her own table instead of waiting for a seat at the already established tables. So she said she's not waiting for anybody. She's building her own table from scratch and creating her own opportunities. And I think a lot of the times we're like waiting for people to give us a chance. 
we're like waiting for society to recognize that black women are amazing and are brilliant and invite us into the room. But if we do that, we'll be waiting for forever. So I want to hear about how you've paved your own way in your own industries rather than waiting for people to give you a chance. What have you done to like create your own thing and become your own boss? Um, so Nicole, I want to start with you first since you kind of talked about needing to pave your own way in the creative industry. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, no, I definitely, and I think I might also try and answer the Q&A question as well that was directed to me, but I, I definitely feel like it, it's one of those ones that it, it, there's a level of resilience that comes from there and like a ridiculous work ethic. I have to talk about the behind the scenes stuff about my personality. I, I, I want to give advice, but I just know that a woman knows that I work like a ridiculous machine sometimes. But aside from that, aside from all those additional things, I think for me, it was it was being frustrated by the weight. Like there's this constant waiting game, right? You're waiting to be seen, you're waiting to be spoken to, you're waiting for this, this seat to appear, for your opportunity to, to, to present itself. And I just, I was tired of that. You know, I already knew the value of black women. I was already reading the books. I was already attending the events. And I was already speaking to other black women who got excited about the fact that we just love being black women. And, and it just made so much sense to create a space like Black Girl Festival, to create spaces like Unmasked Women, to have more conversations about our experiences and to filter that into, into creativity and art. You know, I could have waited for a gallery to appreciate black artists and appreciate black women's mental health. But if I waited for that, you know, it will only be now that I'll be getting the, the bookings to go and do my exhibition. But I did that in 2016, where I realized there weren't any conversations about black women and mental health in the UK. A lot of it was centered around the US. A lot of it was centered around black men. None of the conversations were specifically connecting our experiences in the UK to our well-being and understanding how those, those, the, those intersect with one another, whilst bringing in art as a way to have those conversations. Like, I actually didn't really how like monumental that was until people were telling me how impactful it was for them mm. till this day and I remember when um the, the co-authors of Slaying Your Lane mentioned it in their book and I was just like Rob was it that big <laughs> I was just doing something I didn't see in it like I just I was just writing something that I didn't see and I was so tired of the weight of waiting for people to tell me when it was ready for my turn to be up right mm. and I think that's what kind of also kind of spurred a lot of my own personal growth so like my tenacity my resilience but also my work ethic to be like you have to go full all the way full throttle you have to keep going until you get to the end of the road that you want to see yourself down and I think what's really exciting about that is that when you're not waiting for anyone anything is possible like you can go into I, I literally feel invincible I can walk into any room I can speak to any CEO they will have to listen to me because I'm such a believer in the community that I'm kind of creating this for you can't actually tell me anything like mm -hmm. this is how ridiculous I sound right now but yeah. I <laughs> in my head yeah. in my head like I, I literally feel like I can walk into any room that I want to and just blare up the horns talking about black women like it's not even a, a joke thing like I, I don't even feel like sometimes where I'm like oh I'm not sure like will they think like I'm a bit crazy talking about maybe I should water it down and be like women of color nah 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 nah, nah. It's, <laughs> that, or it's nothing at all basically like it's period and I feel like um with the kind of spaces that I've created and I've kind of co-created, it's literally been that at the core. There is no settling for anything less. And I, and I definitely kind of, I'm hoping that other people who feel empowered by this realize that there is so much more space that you can take up. You don't have to go into anyone else's space. You don't have to kind of go into, I, I, I love what people say about like shaking tables and, you know, bringing your own seat to the table. I love that analogy. I think it's really powerful, but there's just so, now that I'm in the industry, there's so much more space that you can just create from scratch that doesn't exist, that is a completely new to the system that doesn't require you to go and shake somebody else's table to be seen and heard. It's more yeah. waiting. It's more like, oh, I'm waiting to get a seat at that table and then I shake it and then we can do things. Instead, you can have spent all that time creating a whole different kind of space, a whole different kind of community that doesn't require you to kind of shake anybody else's tables, you know, that doesn't require you to do any of that kind of stuff. It's being unstoppable, like, and not waiting for black yeah. women to trend in, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's just being completely unstoppable with everything that I'm doing, basically. Love it. <laughs> unstoppable is one of my favorite words. So <laughs> I, I just like everything you're saying. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> 
Um, same with me. Like when I started Confident and Killing It, like it wasn't like I was getting big brands inviting me to come and run workshops and speak in their organizations. I had to start my own event. I had to put myself out there and say, hey, everyone, I'm now doing speaking or like now I'm creating events and, and things for, for women. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I think if you're, if you're waiting for people, you're going to be waiting for forever. So even if you're in a full-time job and you, you're building a business or whatever you're doing, just start small. Start with what you have. Start with the resources that you have, with the people that you have, with the community that you have. You don't need to secure a 10,000 pounds grant before you can start your business. Like Just start small with what you have and you will see how that will grow. Um, I literally started Confident and Killing It with a single video on Instagram that then led to like more videos, then events, then like workshops and like just going with the flow. And so to anyone listening to this, like just start with where you are do what you can start building create your own like there's enough room for everyone to thrive in their own lane so just just start basically and create your own space amazing um okay lauren what about you like being a plus size model in the fashion industry like how did you navigate that where did it all start yeah it was super random um i started a blog because i wanted to become a fashion journalist so i started a blog while i was in secondary school 15 um started that within like the first year i don't know if anyone remembers company magazine but i was nominated as best team blog um by company magazine the first year that my blog came out second year i was nominated for another like blog um, thing and I was like okay this is kind of taking off at this point I haven't worked with necessarily any sort of brands I was just like buying things <laughs> like and just taking pictures and stuff and writing about it um, and then a, a independent plus size brand reached out to me and we're like we'd love you to be a brand ambassador and I was like okay cool didn't think anything of it thought I might write a few blog posts like maybe post the odd picture on Instagram and they were asking me to do their spring summer collection and their swimwear collection so ended up doing that very very strange um first time on set I was alongside Felicity Hayward who was like one of the most kind of influential plus size models in the UK um and that pretty much just led to me being signed and then me being in various campaigns but to be fair it was a very long sort of process I think only maybe in the last like eight months would I say that my career has really taken off but I've been signed for about five years now um but for me I think the changing point and I think this is also kind of like echoing what Nicole said about creating your own lane um I then just started to create the sort of campaigns I guess you could say that I would want to be in so Mm -hmm. I arranged for me and my photographer to go um, to Costa Brava and we shot this whole like shoot where we did uh, swimwear, we did like evening wear, we did all these different things and it wasn't necessarily for one brand per se or wasn't a campaign that was for somebody but it was what I would have liked to create it or would like to be involved in and from that that really kind of gained traction and was helpful for me so I would always say just how you said like start with what you have but Mm. if no one's going to give you a seat or if no one's going to give you the opportunity create those opportunities for yourself and I think that has been the most like impactful thing for my career specifically um so yeah, I just basically have to jump on the back of the bandwagon of what you said. Well, I think the timing, like talking about the patience that you must have yeah. had from starting a blog at like 15 to then, or 12, sorry, to then, you yeah. know, being signed five years, but then your career didn't really take off until yeah. eight months ago, you know? And it's just like, yes, you can start, but also be patient with yourself yeah. on the journey as you become an entrepreneur. And I think even with that, you know that sort of patience isn't necessarily because you think that like once you get signed like it's going to start happening you're going to be on billboards you're going to be like the face of h&m or whatever the case may be um and that wasn't the case for me you know um so of course i had to deal with like seeing other girls who had come up and who had been signed at the same time as me and them like mm. killing it and being on this um campaign when i'm turning on my tv or this youtube um ad and i'm like what the hell's going on but you really have to believe in your own vim and your own source that like eventually it will happen yeah for you um but maybe right now isn't the right time and actually i'm so happy that i was able to 
go through sixth form and go through university and have that time to focus on those things um, and then kind of come out of it and graduate and stuff and then be able to have the career that I have now. I think I probably would have struggled a lot more during those times had I had been kind of like forced into the industry at that time. So there's always kind of like a silver lining and a blessing, I think. 100%. Yeah, totally. Um, So I always tell people like, seed time harvest seed time harvest like our lives are not a microwave dinner okay we are a three course meal and three course meals take time okay so just because you're not seeing the fruit of your work doesn't mean you're not doing the right things like be patient with yourself and your journey when you plant the seed when you take the leap right there is a time where the seed is growing underneath it's growing its roots and you don't see anything above the surface and it takes a while but you will get there eventually so stay consistent and trust the process definitely love it um Awoma, what about you how, how was your journey moving from like full-time nhs to like building your own thing that's been a whole story like <laughs> hours, but I'll um yeah wow being a young black female doctor in the nhs in the uk Ooh. <laughs> We need like a shot or something to like digest that alone. You know, again, like, of course, you know, the black experience is super nuanced, but wow. It was crazy because it was like the bubble of university completely fell away, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that really was because it was like in union, kind of in education in general, it's like you have people that are paid to have your interest at heart, or, or at least I hope so. Um, and to kind of guide you and nurture you. But as soon as you enter the work world, nope, every man for themselves. Mm. And so entering the work world at, how old was I? 23, being a new doctor at 23, having to grow up super, super quick and having a ton of responsibility. I was like, oh wow, okay. Mm. And I realized very early on that the pure sight of me as a black doctor, people can't handle it. Wow. It was like, for example, you know, a patient would speak to the white nurse and they'd be smiling and happy and joking. Oh my God, oh, Ruby, yeah. And then I come and speak to them next, face drops. Defense is up. Wow. Really aggressive. And then I'll speak to my like white um, nurse colleague and I'm like, you know, they were really mean to me. Really? Oh, they're great, they're lovely. Mm. No, <laughs> not with me. Um, and I just had, you know, a ton of microaggressions and just darn right aggression. Um, you know, intimidation, bullying, some of which from patients, but particularly fellow colleagues, yeah. particularly more senior fellow colleagues as well. Um, you know, just gaslighting on the daily comments such as, oh, you don't look like a doctor. Oh, did you go to medical school here? Were you born here? Yeah. <laughs> You know, just, just like that. And it's like, oh, hi, hi, nurse. Again, nothing wrong with being a nurse. Oh, are you the receptionist? Are you the physiotherapist? Are you the pharmacist? Again, nothing wrong with any of those things. And I'm like, big butt doctor. <laughs> yeah. Big butt doctor. Please. Bro, I'm wearing full scrubs. I've got a stethoscope around my neck. Like, and I just told you that I'm a doctor. And then, so why five minutes later, you ask me if I'm a doctor? Or when, or when is the doctor coming? You know, and even for the strongest of persons, that really chips away at your psyche, right? And your confidence. Um, And after, and also coupled with just a system that is a sinking ship and overstretched and underfunded, et cetera. You know, I just kind of reached a point um, after a year, I was like, I'm done. I'm done in these streets. Like, I can't do this. (laughs) I massively disillusioned. I got to a place where I was burnt out. Um, if I'm honest with you ladies, like I was clinically depressed and anxious, mm-hmm. like it just, it was bizarre. It was this thing, this pinnacle of medicine that I was training for, you know, for five plus years. Once I reached it, it didn't make me feel good about myself or happy by any means. It didn't fulfill me in, in the ways that I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard and it was almost grieving with, the realization of that um and i reached a point where i was like yeah like i'm done i think i'll just leave medicine completely <laughs> let me go and work in the city and then i thought mm, 
it's probably going to be same shit, different smell. At least I got paid way more, but yeah. same shit, different smell. And I guess in what I then did was I actually left program and then, you know, still worked in the NHS, but as a contractor. So basically meaning I was doing the same job, but earning way more. <laughs> um, and I could kind of check in, check out. I.e., if I didn't turn up to work, no biggie. I just won't get paid. Um, and I think that was really good in order to allow me to rebuild myself up mentally and emotionally and physically. Mm. Um, and I also went kind of on a journey of soul searching, figuring out what I could do with my degree. Mm. Um, so specifically going to conferences, you know, following Facebook groups of doctors or, you know, that, that had an interest in diversifying. Um, and then I came across the world of aesthetics or cosmetic medicine. And, you know, how long ago was this? This is probably like four years ago or so, if not longer. Um, you know, aesthetics really wasn't a thing. Botox, lip fillers, it wasn't a thing back then. It was something that celebrities went and did. And then obviously now it's just skyrocketed and like everyone and their mum and their nan and their like Tom, Dick and Harry's getting filler, right? Um, and it was crazy because in that moment I was like, wow, this space of cosmetic medicine ties together my medical degree but also the more creative side of me that I've always had and yeah it was just perfect um I love that you first of all thank you so much for sharing on such like a vulnerable level and all the like crazy things that have happened to you but I love how it's like instead of being scared about being the only black woman you use that as leverage you're like actually this is my superpower and I think that is just such a light bulb moment that instead of when we're in rooms where we don't see ourselves, instead of freaking out that we can't do this, actually, no, we can do it. Like we can turn this around and, and come with that superhuman black woman energy because we've got it. It's inside of us. So thank you so much for sharing. Like that was such a light bulb moment for me as well. So I know it definitely helped someone in the chat. Um, I want to know a little bit more about like what you did to build your confidence because like you were saying like hearing all of these microaggressions that you're like you know you do you have what it takes are you sure you're qualified enough all of these things it can knock your confidence so how have you like rebuilt your confidence after facing all that kind of like discrimination and microaggressions over the years yeah wow it's been a journey it hasn't been easy at all it's something that i've really had to be intentional about I would say first and foremost, like I thank God. Two, I thank God that I have such, uh, you know, grown up, I've had such a confident, vivacious black mum in my life. Like my mum's confidence, like, wow. It's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and at face value, she, you would, how do I phrase this in a non-degrading way? But it's kind of like someone that you wouldn't think classically would have a ton of confidence. Do you know what I mean? You know, she's not the slimmest, she's not the tallest. Like she's the complete opposite of me physique-wise, basically. But it's just 100% energy. She's like, and you know, and I've been having that positive reinforcement, that positive role model from a very, very early age. And I would say only in my later life, I in the past few years, have I really tapped into that. And I literally replay, you know, all of the things she would say to me as a child. Like, for example, like um, something she would always say to me was um, like, I'd go to her and be like, oh, mom, like the kids are bullying me at school kind of thing. And she'd be like, oh, ma, they are bullying you because they are jealous of you. <laughs> like, mom, I don't think so. Like, I'm skinny, I'm smelly and I've got acne. I don't think, no, they're jealous. Everybody's jealous. Like, she would just <laughs> say that to me. And again, whether that's a good thing or not, hey. <laughs> but it was great and actually I learned that she's right most people actually are just jealous most people are actually just projecting themselves onto you yeah um and it's really not that deep which actually brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you Nicole is like you are so unapologetic like I love it like you, you like when you were talking earlier you were like yes I show up I'm like that's it. That's me. You know, how, how did you get to this point where you were so unapologetic? Because I don't think anyone is born with confidence. I think confidence is a process. It's a journey. You have to be intentional about it. So where did that, where does your confidence comes from? Like, how do you build your confidence? Yeah, I think um, as well to echo a bit of what women were saying, I think naturally the first person, the first 
like representation of you, as you have as a black woman as your mother mm-hmm. and for my mom the resilience and just the sheer determination for her to bring her whole family into this country to work and to save and to build structure for us is just it, for me that's the first person I ever saw to be someone that showed me what confidence looks like mm-hmm. um but I guess as a millennial someone who has all these digital tools to her to her um to her reach I kind of took things to the next level to the point where my mom was just like you're saying too much on social media don't say too much <laughs> I'm like no I have to be boastful like no, no, no. so for me I've taken kind of like the initial stages of like understanding my womanhood celebrating myself and really appreciating I guess the physical being I'm in came from my mum um and then kind of be understanding kind of what I'm good at appreciating that the industry didn't want to accept that and finding new ways to carve my own Mm -hmm. but definitely in my kind of later years like now I would say in the last couple of years really understanding that that confidence doesn't come from me or the industry or my mom it comes from God Mm -hmm. really and truly the the experiences that I have and I don't know if anyone else is religious or believes in any kind of um, uh, denomination or anything but for me the skills and the talents that are gifted to me that you all see are like oh my god this is so amazing they don't come from me and I always have to remind people when they see oh Nicole it wasn't me a singular person of myself my capabilities cannot do all the brilliance that you see by myself um and even to the point yeah sometimes I've sometimes I don't feel so confident in things sometimes like I message my mum and I'm like mum can you pray over this because I know that your prayers are powerful and I need that additional support because I know that sometimes I can't walk into every space with the confidence coat and feeling like I can do everything and I rule the world you know what I mean like that's mm-hmm. not humanly possible for everyone to have all the time so I can understand how that can that can might seem overwhelming for people yeah. um but the one thing that has really really helped me is just kind of understanding and celebrating my story mm. understanding where you come from i think people talk oftenly about like you know you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from or what's the other one that people always say sometimes um when people speak about um you honing in on your story but also being able to create spaces that tell that story out to loads of people mm. for me it's really celebrating those assets of myself, knowing that I was someone who wasn't born in this country, knowing that, you know, my story is one of resilience and hard work, knowing that, you know, I come from a lineage of hardworking women, but also that what I'm doing is so beyond, you know, yeah, it was that, it was like, oh, I'm my ancestors' wildest dream. Who are your ancestors? What are their stories? What spaces did they carve before you for you to have these gifts to carve for yourself? Yeah, so beautiful. Thank you. So, so beautiful. Um, And I think everyone in the chat is loving it as well. Everyone's loving this whole conversation. So thank you all so much for just like your love and your energy and your authenticity. I love like Maya Angelou always says, like, I come as one, but I stand as many. And I think actually, yeah, like understanding who are the women that came before you and you have that blood running through your veins. And I love how everyone is paying homage to their moms because it's like, where would we be without our Africa moms, you know, or our black moms in general? And um, like there, we see so much of that strength and zeal and creativity in our mothers and that passes down to us. And so when we show up in life, we, that's another reason why we, there's no need to have imposter syndrome because we're not just showing up as like little old me, we're showing up as like me with my full self, with all the women, with God backing me, with everything. And that's how I'm walking into the room. Mm-hmm. And I also think like, since like we were talking about God and, and, and things like that, I think if you do believe in God, it's important to understand like, what does he say about you? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times we just kind of like don't know who we are and like we're just like we let other people's opinions define who we are and that's dangerous because if people don't have good opinions of black women then the whole thing becomes a mess so you actually have to define yourself in something that cannot be taken away from you and that's why i always think it's important like what does god say about you like who who are you without other people's opinions do you know that or do you only see yourself through the lens of other people Mm. that is the big thing when it comes to confidence like being able to see yourself in a way that you know is a strong foundation and not based on other people's opinions 
So, okay, Tochi asked, um, she wanted to ask about leaving the financial comfort of a nine to five to become an entrepreneur. Do you wait till you have enough saved up or take the leap of faith? Um, and then when we were talking about this um, earlier today, and for me, I decided to leave my nine to five when the pain of showing up every day to a job that I was now emotionally disconnected with was so much more painful than the fear of moving and becoming an entrepreneur without having like all my money and, and income figured out. So yes, I had some savings. I had like three months worth of savings um, before I decided to, to make the leap. But I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a first big client secured to make sure that I could, I could run and do it. But I just knew that there is no way I'm going to jump off a cliff and fall flat on my face. Like, I just know first, God is not going to allow that, one. And two, I know I'm resilient. I know I'm creative. I know I'll find a way to make it work. And I'm hardworking. So it would be good to know... Well, man, Nicole, when you were leaving your full-time jobs, how did you navigate that, that big jump? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, actually. And it's funny because everyone's like, I need six months worth of salary saved. <laughs> Let's have a plan. Sometimes it don't work that way. <laughs> but, and I think sometimes this six months worth of saving business, it can be a very logical excuse. Mm, it can be restrictive, actually. And counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, when I made the jump, I didn't have any savings. You know, I was too busy, you know, loving life and doing, you know, baby girl. With- <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, like you've got to live life small, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a ton of savings. If no, let me think. And nothing. Yeah, nothing. Um, so please don't allow that necessarily to be a prerequisite before you make your jump. Of course, depending on your situation, if you have dependents, etc. of course, very important. But as I said, me personally, I was out here doing baby life. I'm no one's keeper. Like I can bounce in a flash of a gun. Do you know what I mean? But, um, but and it was funny because what made me make that jump was actually because I was sacked. <laughs> don't worry, guys. I didn't kill anyone. Yeah. <laughs> It was just long story short, you know, it was a racially charged sacking. Um, I was sacked a week after whistleblowing. Yeah. Yeah, So very much unfairly dismissed. Um, And actually that traumatic event, that which then led to a moment of significant dis-ease was the thing that pushed me into be like, actually, no, like I was doing, you know, skin doctor part-time, but after that I was like, no, actually let's mess up the clinic. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, the way I funded myself was through business loan, mm-hmm. right? which was the size of like a deposit, basically. Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, so that was a big risk and having that debt over my head. And I think also I got to a point where I almost very intentionally put myself in a financially uncomfortable position. Maybe I'm low key sadistic. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I put myself in a position where, for example, like my parents live in London, but I still decided to go and like have my own flat. It wasn't a very nice flat by any means, you know, but I was like, actually, no, because by me getting a flat, it's going to mean that I'm going to have to hustle, right? And yeah. I, if I put, and again, I'm, I only did this because I know how I, how my mind operates, right? I put myself in like financially uncomfortable position because I knew that one one of the mantras that I would say to myself is risk big win big mm-hmm. of course you can risk big and lose big but I, I didn't pay attention to the, the- <laughs> love it and then two because you're so uncomfortable financially or whatever your mind then forces goes into overdrive right and I was forced to figure the fuck out quick yeah, yeah. right because if you don't you ain't gonna pay your rent right yeah. You don't mm-hmm. pay, you're going to pay off your monthly repayments of your loan. Mm-hmm. I think that really helped actually in a very bizarre way. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because there's no going back. Like when you throw yourself into it, your only option is to win, like sink or swim. Yeah. And it's literally, yeah. I, I'd love to add on to that as well. I think I've got like the counter argument to Aroma's point. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's come with it. Let's come with it. Look, I've got like a minute to make this hot. So for me, I think my journey was really interesting because um, someone who has anxiety, like 
and I hear so much about people talking about going freelance and being so scared about not making rent and mm. I put those fears onto myself like oh my god how am I going to pay rent like mm. oh my god stress is stress and I basically bottled myself down as to kind of talking myself out of it constantly because I was so afraid of the inevitable the things that I couldn't control right this was that's a conversation with my therapist but where mm. like the, the the fear of that was really crippling and so for me and this is how I kind of combat it is a level of security that is created and from the best way I can kind of the best analogy I can kind of use to kind of talk about what I did is the bag so you have to understand that the bag that you create for yourself, the wealth that you kind of have, and I hear that as well so many times people say, oh, have six months, save, blah, 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 blah. But the unfortunate thing about having the six month bag is that you will always rely on the bag and never really think about how to make that bag grow. Mm-hmm. Always like, oh, I've got six months saving, I'm cool. Let me just, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. But mm-hmm. instead of you thinking and focusing on how to continue with, con- con- have that continuous bag grow and grow and grow, yeah. that's what I think a lot of people get comfortable with. So the first thing you got to think about is the bag. How is your money coming into you? Then you got to think about how is that bag growing? What are you doing to, what model have you established to ensure that, that bag is continuously full to the brim? You take it to the bank, bank is having a good time counting the cash. Like you have to really not just think about, oh, I need savings. And then the savings is what I'm going to cushion myself with because that sounds like you're doing retirement, really mm-hmm. intriguing. That sounds like you're coming to <laughs> And you're finished now. I've come in to just live off my bag, my six month bag that I've saved. I only saved up like a month's salary. Mm. What I did to understand what my bag was, I got myself a financial tracker that I downloaded from someone who was selling Tony Tome, was selling it for like three pounds or something. Mm. And I understood what money was going in and what money was coming out. I became confident and became uncomfortable with the money going in and the money coming out and made sure that what I was seeing wasn't something that I was afraid to look at on, you know, how much money went out. I became comfortable and confident with money going in and money coming out because this is my bag. I have to be confident what what is going in and what's going out. The model of which I established for that is the growth module. So understanding how to start, go from charging a hundred pound for a speaking fee to charging a thousand pound for a speaking fee, because I want this bag to grow, right? This is not, I'm going to sit down on six months bag. This is, I'm going to sit down on 60 years plus bag. This is not retirement bag. This is a growth bag. So I had to change the model of which the way I was receiving those, that income so that I was, so I could sit pretty, so I can go off to Ghana for a month in December and not have to worry about anything. And that was where that came from. It was the fear of the worrying of you know not paying rent that made me get so comfortable and confident with the security that comes with a very good solid growth bag. And that's yeah. what I've really focused on, the growth of the bag that you want to establish for yourself because this isn't a retirement plan. This is me quitting a job to go and pursue huge and incredible things in my life and in my world that is going to make me a million pounds richer a million pounds more successful whatever whatever and I think that's what a lot of people sometimes think like I need to save six months a year you'll be saving for the whole two two three years and you still need to go freelance you know I'm saying like when people always ask me when did you when was the right time when did you deliver I said when the model was set and I knew that income will be generating throughout the year. That's mm-hmm. what I knew. I knew I'm good. No need to save six months ahead. Because mm-hmm. you'd be sitting there with a the cushion money like, oh, I'm okay. I don't need to do anything. I've got six months ahead. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Reframe that whole thinking. Constant bag, constant growth. That's my, that's my path. Okay. <laughs> I love it. To add to that, Sam, yeah. I would also say that in terms of, okay, when do I make that jump? There's never going to be a right time. You'll be waiting for till retirement for that mm-hmm. moment. It's not going to mm-hmm. come. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, I'm always like, when is the right time? Because I know there's not going to be a right time. Yeah, there's never. It's almost like you have to fearfully do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the amount of brain space that you have when you finally leave and all you're doing is just focusing on your business, like never, ever underestimate that. Like I thought I was creative before, but the moment I quit my full-time job and confident and killing it was the only thing on my agenda. All of these ideas just started coming in from nowhere. And I'm like, is, is this the same woman? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally. Um, so I think, 
I think this just shows like everyone has a different way of doing things, right? I saved three months but had no business plan and I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. You got your business plan first and you had your one month savings and you just went for it and figured it out. Oma was like one month but kind of have an idea but not quite sure but let's just do it anyways, you know? <laughs> everyone is different. You just have to figure out what works for you um, at the end of the day but realize that you have what it takes to do it. And when you put yourself under pressure, you're not going to crack. You actually do have what it takes to keep going. And that is a wrap on our conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. So let me know if you did. Remember to share this episode with your family and friends and other women who might really appreciate it. And tag us on social media at Tiwalola and at Confident and Killing It. We are coming up to about a year of the Confident and Killing It podcast. And so far, it has been listened to 40,000 times. How cool is that? So please do keep um, rating and leaving reviews. It really, really helps for more people to find out about the podcast. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Love you all. And until next time, stay confident and killing it.